Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Um, I know I say this every episode, but I really mean it every episode that I'm super excited to have this conversation with my guest today. They are a weaver, writer, and dreamer. I have today Ro Schnoor. Hi, Ro. Hi. <laughs> I'm super excited to talk with you um, and, and really learn so much about these amazing way that you show up in the world that I've been able to like see and experience but you know take it to the next level of understanding so I'm gonna start with you like I do all of my guests and ask what is your labor of love yeah thank you and thanks for having me um yeah so most broadly I would say my labor of love is weaving and then kind of most deeply uh is more of exploring how weaving and its processes can offer metaphors um, for healing and for deeper understanding of our lives and the world around us and how we fit into that. Mm, Right up my alley, right? Um, (laughs) Always looking for the connection, the metaphor, the, the comparison. And so this is so intriguing to me. First, I, I'm going to ask you to, and I don't know how complex or simple this question is, but can you define weaving? Like before knowing you, if someone was said they were a weaver, I would have said, that's cool. But I would have had no idea what they were actually doing. <laughs> <laughs> so can you start by helping us understand like what is weaving in its actual physical process? Yeah. Yeah. I would say most people, uh, when I say I'm a weaver, either are like, I have no idea what that is, or they're like, oh, my grandmother or my aunt had a giant loom in our living room growing up. Um, (laughs) So weaving in its most basic essence is an intersection of vertical and horizontal threads. So um, if we think about our blue jeans, like our blue jeans are woven, they're woven in a twill pattern. Um, Most of our textiles are woven, like our t-shirts are knit, that's a different type of interlocking. Um, but weaving and its processes uh, date back just thousands of years. Like there are images in, from Egypt, like ancient Egypt of weavers. And there's been cloth that has been found from ancient Egypt of woven cloth. So it's been around a long time and has shown up in pretty much every civilization uh, in, in some way of how that works. And uh, the way that you weave in, in a most basic form is that your vertical threads known as the warp have to be under tension. So that can be on a simple frame, that can be on a floor loom, that can be the tension between your body and a tree uh, as a backstrap loom. And then we weave in materials known as our weft into the warp so it's it's a intersection between the warp and the weft that creates cloth Mm -hmm. and are the weft and what's the other one warp warp okay (laughs) i'm getting y'all um are those the same fabric or are those two things different fabric or does it just depend it totally depends. Yeah. So they could be the same material. Um, your your warp threads, whatever is your warp needs to be strong enough to be held under appropriate tension. But then your weft could be anything. Um, you know, it could be like a cotton thread all the way to I've woven with like plastic bags that we get at like the grocery store. You could weave in sticks from outside. You could weave in grasses like um grass mats were like a way of like early weaving you know and and people still make those um so yeah they could be same or different just kind of depending on what the project needs Mm. my mind is already going to some deep metaphor so I'm gonna save that though I feel like you and I should really talk um (laughs) (laughs) 
fascinating so when I hear Weaver without the knowledge you just gave me without knowing you my mind automatically goes to like one someone well advanced of your age right like someone is doing that and they're like a much more mature older person and it almost in my mind has this connotation of like a dying art like people don't weave hmm. anymore right and that's just where am I picking that up from I don't know but I, I can assure you I'm not the only person who like has those very limiting perspectives of weaving so I am so excited for you to help us realize those of us who have those thoughts that we're wrong <laughs> <laughs> that's actually not you know what it is and so can we start by you telling us like okay where did where is this rooted for you for this to be not only a labor of love and passion but from my understanding your full craft like this is what you do with your time yes. a lot right so it's not like a side hobby or something that you're doing on the side but you're a full-time weaver can you help us understand your journey of weaving so weaving is uh rooted for me well, kind of, so my whole life I've loved art. Like the joke growing up was that someone could give me a pair of scissors, paper and tape, and I would be like totally good for a couple hours. Um, but I never really found like something that felt like I could express who I truly was. I was very good at kind of mimicking or imitating what I saw or what I saw was successful. And so then in college, I had gone to school to be a fashion designer um and it wasn't really for me either <laughs> and I was really down and just feeling like where where where's my voice gonna come from and uh in a fabrics class we took a tour of the textile studio which was different and walking and I can like oh still remember this so clearly that walking into that room and seeing all of these looms and how other people were expressing themselves in so many different ways in a craft that I also thought was an old lady dying craft to see all these people who were my age trying all these different things. I immediately knew. I was like, oh, this is for me. Like, this is where I want to be. This is where, what I'm meant to do. And um, thankfully I had a mentor in that time. Her name's Janice Lesman Moss. She's a phenomenal weaver and just was so encouraging and also just so direct of just like, this is for you and you're going to put the time into it. Like she didn't really mess around. <laughs> if anyone who has had Janice as a teacher or mentor knows that. And I feel like that was what I needed at that time was someone to see me, but mm -hmm. also to say like, you're going to put in the work and kind of help me find what that felt like. Um, and so for me, that's that's really where weaving is rooted in is in like that time of maybe seeing even myself for the first time um and seeing what it was that I truly wanted to say into the world and how I wanted to show up after spending so much of trying to be like other people or just kind of to fit in um and so I think that's really where my practice and my facilitation comes from is that like wanting to help others find their voice because we're all different and you know, we can all make art and not be artists, quote unquote, capital A artists, you know, and that that's just as valid uh, to be. I had wrote down earlier the idea of like uh, being in process without the need to produce Ooh. like that of mm. <laughs> being with it and whatever you make is whatever you make. And it's not something you're trying to sell or trying to get a ton of likes on Instagram but just like what is it that you need and letting that come through your art in whatever way and for me that's weaving so beautiful and so many things like that I want to go back to um one I'm struck by this idea and concept of identity and uh authenticity that you described in your journey of knowing that you are creative and have been creative sounds like your whole life that, you know, some of the guesswork was taken out. Whoa, Rose, a creator, <laughs> right? <laughs> They're going to create something. But I resonated so much with 
what you talked about and I can think even if it's not specific with art or creating what the formative years look like for so many of us when we're just trying to fit in when we're just trying to belong when we're just trying to be part of a community that's so necessary for the human experience and I think it's it gets minimized when we have depictions and adages like you know a young person really trying to figure out who they are while still belonging and someone's like well you don't have to do what everybody else is doing and I'm like well let's pause right (laughs) is there safety in not doing what other people are doing because if there is not safety and not doing what other people are doing, we will often sacrifice authenticity for belonging if there is no one to tell us that those things can exist at the same time. And I'm arriving more and more at that conclusion as I think back over my life in the way that, you know, I recently had one of my spirit guides reveal that, you know, one of my gifts, superpowers even, is shape-shifting but how I always used it to shape towards what everyone else was because I never received information, knowledge, guidance, or safety in anyone saying, but being you, even if it's different, is okay. And look at all these examples of people who are doing it and your village will come to you. You will attract your village and your authenticity. I had to get to my 30s and 40s to know that. And so when I hear you walked into a space like, you know, you all can't see them, but I can. Like your hand kind of went to your chest and you like rubbed your throat. And it's just like, I walked <laughs> in that place and I knew that is so beautiful because, you know, and if if I'm, if I'm off at all, let me know. But I didn't hear in your story that the loom was just so alluring that you had to have it but it was, look at all these people expressing themselves in all of these different ways. And that felt like the thing that really drew you in. Oh my God, no one in here is trying to be exactly like the person next to them. There is a space in here for creativity and authenticity. It sounds like in a way that you hadn't discovered in other forms. Does that sound accurate for your experience? Yeah, yeah, very much, very much. And I think as I've continued, because now that was 10 years ago that that, you know, uh, happened. And I'm still always amazed at how other weavers are making weavings and what they're bringing to their processes and how varied the projects can be, but we're all still using the same tool. Like that is to me is always like just so amazing. <laughs> it, it sounds amazing. So I will tell you that it was much later in my life that I realized that Fruit of the Loom underwear <laughs> literally meant the product of a loom, right? Like, <laughs> I remember being like, oh, what? So what's a loom, Ro? Can you help those of us who are just walking around, la la la, <laughs> help us understand what a loom is? Yeah, so a loom is a is the tool that helps us weave. So and a loom can be many different things uh, or d- take many different forms. Um, but a loom, essentially, when it comes to weaving, is what helps us hold our warp under tension. And then in more complex, so like if we have a frame loom, think of just like a picture frame, and we were to uh, wrap yarn around that, um, and that held our tension, that's a loom. At the most complex level, um, I have, I know the listeners couldn't see it, but I have a floor loom behind me where it holds the tension, but then it also um, provides the access to lifting threads using pedals. And then that helps me and other weavers create more complex patterns. Um, and then there's like industrial looms that are weaving large pieces of fabric that are essentially that, but at just in a very intense scale. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, a loom is, is a tool. Um, and there are many different ways of creating looms and that that to me is so fascinating too like I said in the beginning how weaving shows up in 
almost every civilization because that's you know how you make cloth and to see the different types of looms created it's just so mind-blowing to me of how you know at the same time in the world two civilizations across the world were, were weaving but in very different ways but creating similar products is just so interesting and I think speaks to kind of um how weaving is it feels like it's just like ingrained in us in some way that there's this um when I I start to think about it too as like a metaphor for how we exist in the world like that you know we have to kind of exist in some tension like that they're without tension you know we don't really move forward maybe too little tension we like fall away or withdraw and that um this tension of the systems that we're living in and maybe the structures that make up our life and then the way that we're interacting with them is what creates our reality that is so unique to each of us right the the intersection of our internal and our external world is what my experience as Ro is um and so that's constantly what I'm thinking about as I am making like physical objects you know <laughs> yeah I I I like I find myself really fascinated um there is depth to everything and I think in our culture, when I say our, I'm going to go like, let's, let's just broaden it to Western, <laughs> Western culture. Um, I think there is this thing that we do where we make the complex simple and we make the simple complex. Mm. And so there, there are some things about humanity that I find to be simple, like we all have needs and our behaviors are an expression of that need. For me, that feels simple. And I feel like people make that real complex. They 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 weave in all these complexities when I go, if we could just pause and go, I wonder what need is trying to be met. I feel like that would be a simple way to navigate the world in a less judgmental way to go, man, that was an expression of a need. And I have needs and I know how hard it is when my needs go unmet. And I feel like that's a way where we could meet people in their humanity. And yet, I think there are some things that are really complex, like weaving, that people want to make simple. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just like, you know, you do this thing. And I'm just like, man, like if we if we could have true appreciation for how complex some of the things we want to just kind of pass over and dismiss. Like when you said blue jeans are woven, I'm like, man, you order them, you buy them, you put them on, you, you, you mm -hmm. snap them and you go. And I'm sure there are actual people out there who do it, but the vast majority of people in my life are not, including myself, are not taking this pair of denim jeans and going like, wow, like this was woven. And like, there is a process in which this happened. Honestly, they are magical fairies who make all clothes in my mind, if I'm going to be honest, <laughs> right? There's the, the magical fairies make the clothes and, and mass produce them and, and sell them. And then we wear them. And I appreciate the invitation to slow down and go like, Hey, there's a, there is a complex historical intergenerational ancestral uh, experience with weaving that maybe I just want to put a little bit more respect on <laughs> on mm -hmm. that process so I appreciate that so when you talk about it being metaphor when you look at it philosophically what are some of the things that even to the person like me who has very little experience with weaving that might be intriguing for someone who is like, they just like kind of the deeper things. What are some of the things you've discovered while weaving? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, well, I think too, in this moment, uh, in the past two years of kind of people really focusing on white supremacy and what does that mean for me? What is that, how, how that's showing up in the world and people wanting to do the work, but like getting so in their heads kind of where it's like, well, that's, and I'm speaking from a white perspective. Um, and that, you know, what is that, uh, kind of wanting to be like, oh, that's kind of a thing over there. Um, and so I've like, you thought of weaving and kind of come up with a practice that 
helps us understand like how those systems are a part of our life and how they're showing up. So even if it's like you don't necessarily want to understand a floor loom or how that works, you know, but like the most basic essence of having structures that make up our lives. Think of the warp. So we're thinking like vertical threads. And then so those structures could be our relationships, our, our you know, our partnerships, uh, our jobs, the financial institutions that we work with, um, our cars that we buy. Uh, anything that that gives us that physical structure. And then what are the values that are being woven in into each of those structures? And then you kind of can start to see the pattern that emerges. And so I, I bring up white supremacy or really interlocking systems of domination, white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, because they're like intentionally vague. They're intentionally made to be these things that feel like they're over there. They're not in me. And um using the weaving process to start to see the patterns that emerge from those values showing up in our lives and saying, oh, I have was not aware that this relationship with this person, the value of urgency continues to dominate over and over. Okay, well, that's a value of white supremacy and capitalism. And how am I going to address that now? You know, and like using the processes in that way is, is one way to start to see how patterns are forming in our lives. Um, so I don't know if that got too like complex, but that's really like how I start my contemplative weaving class is with that project, that activity. So it's like, we're introducing the process of weaving the over and under of taking our weft over and under a warp, our warp threads to start to see how patterns emerge and how our values are actually living into our lives or not. And what are some of the structures or things that are in place in our lives that are causing maybe some discomfort or maybe are providing more than we realized. Um, so yeah, I'll stop there on that, but so good. <laughs> yes. I, I appreciate that. And as you were speaking, a couple of things came to mind for me to admittedly say like, this is the closest I've come to understanding weaving. I talk about weaving even without understanding the process, because something that I will say and have said for many years is that some things are woven into the fabric of who we think we are. Mm -hmm. And, and <clears throat> that statement has always felt very true to me. It's funny that I had no concept of weaving, <laughs> right? I think I understood over under, but that was about it. And so it feels almost like I I appreciate having a better understanding of the process <laughs> that 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 analogy metaphor whatever comparison feels feels like I get to say it a little bit with, you know, with my, you know, with my shoulder square. Hey, I know weaving <laughs> at least yeah. enough to know. Right. But there, the thing that stuck out to me the most when you were talking is your invitation to have people notice how patterns emerge. And the thing about it is patterns are intentional. Mm. And, and so there is this thing that I have with these systems of domination which I've never used those words strung together, but that's exactly what it is. And I appreciate you for in uh, introducing that, that framework or those phrasings to me is it can seem like I thought of clothing, little fairy somewhere off doing a thing that I'm completely separate from and just interact with to going, mm, I might not see the process, but patterns are intentional. And mm. so when we're able to step back and look at the process or the pattern of capitalism within our education, when we look at the patterns of white body supremacy in our uh, financial institutions and housing, when we, those are intentional because what's striking me is that while we have this perception that it's far off and no one's doing it and it's a dying thing. What you're helping us understand is no, it's very much alive. And there mm -hmm. are people of all ages across all cultures 
who are weaving patterns, even if you don't know it's happening. I think about how many um, markets I've been to when people are providing things and you're like, oh, like, especially when I travel internationally, you know, there's this like, oh, I want to bring something back from this vacation completely yeah. void in my mind that there was a craftsperson creating this thing that I get to just pick up with money and go back and say, Ooh, look what I brought back from this exotic place. It's, it's really settling in me that um, just like the laundry and the dishes around the house that don't magically get done. I don't do them y'all that don't be me. So I'm not trying to take <laughs> There's a little fairy that lives in my house too, that does all of those things. Now I love my partner, right? The way I've learned that I got to put respect on the fact that nothing is just magically happening. There is someone putting forth effort and intention into making sure that I, our home is livable. There are also people who are very intentionally making sure that these patterns of, of urgency and hierarchical structures and all of those things, very intentionally weaving those into the fabric of everything that is our current culture. So I just, I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And what you said about like, uh, finding yourself using weaving as a metaphor of, you know, in whatever way without knowing the process is really what motivated me to start talking more about how I was seeing weaving as a metaphor, because I kept seeing it come up in places where it would just say like woven into and it's like, well, there's so much more beyond just that one idea. And there's, you know, more parts of the process that can give us um, metaphors and, and different ways to think about our lives that is just beyond that one way of thinking. And so I do teach a contemplative weaving class. And that's what motivated me to do that was hearing that and then also seeing how weaving has shown up in different mythologies over the world and how almost always it's around like creation stories that, you know, weaving was part of the way that a community was created or a society or a group of people were created or that there was a weaver that was kind of maintaining like the magic or the, uh, the spinning of the world or, you know, those different things. And that it's kind of, it's always been there. And that because of industry we've been separated from what the process actually is and we just buy our clothes from whatever store and we don't really think about how they're made um so yeah I just find that really interesting how weaving like wants to be used as a metaphor but we aren't always as in touch with what the process is uh to kind of deepen the metaphor you know mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's so real. And it, it is, it's just giving me pause to think about not just weaving, but other areas too, that I'm kind of not flippantly, but just kind of like, oh, let me throw this out there without at least personally identifying the craftsmanship, the intention, the work, the time that goes mm -hmm. into so many of these things. So as a disclosure, I wanna talk a little bit about how Ro and I know each other and that can lead into some more discussion around your contemplative weaving and things like that. So Ro and I are both members at a place called The Hive. Uh, this has been this has come up multiple times uh, on the podcast and um, way back, um, yeah, there there have been people that I have intersected with from The Hive on this podcast many times, Troy Bronsink being one of them, the founder um, of The Hive. Ro and I both sit on the wisdom circle for The Hive, which, you know, it's a very interesting thing. We're moving from a single person leadership model, which most of us are familiar with. You know, a nonprofit has an executive director um, and, you know, they are kind of the head and responsible for at least conceptually, the survival of an organization. And as Troy has stepped aside as director um, and still maintained some uh, participation through facilitation and things with the Hive, we are part of a small group of people who are saying, what does communal leadership look like? How do we do it well? <laughs> do we have examples of this done well? And 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 what does that mean? And and so it's been a it's been such a joy to to share that space. It feels very intimate to me that intimate space with Ro, 
Um, and we hold the we hold the soul of the organization, which the way that's framed, it feels sacred and very important. But how mm-hmm. often do we recognize whether you are a person who has started a business, that be me, or have, you know, if you've worked anywhere, you've been part of an organization. And how often is it described as that organization having a soul and that it mm-hmm. needs more than one person to maintain the soul, the integrity, uh, the authenticity, and the foundational um, aspirational goals of that organization. And so that's what we as the Wisdom Circle do. And But the Hive is a place where it's like an intersection of contemplative practice and soul work and movement and creativity and activism. And so really cool place. And so I will hold some of my soul hugs there. I've done some family of origin inner children classes there. Um, Courage to Connect was Daniel Hughes and myself and Troy, all they've both been on the podcast. So yeah, it's one of those things where we are, um, yeah, we're connected in that way. And you talked a little bit about it, but if someone hears like contemplative weaving, I, I think I would like read those two words together and be like, what? You know, yeah. and so you started to talk about it a little bit, but can you tell us a little more about, because like, okay, the contemplative part makes all the sense to me. Let's look at this metaphor and how is it working, but like, what's the actual, we are, are you actually weaving physical things? Yeah, yeah. The So the class is a combination of contemplative practices and prompts. We do some writing time alongside physically weaving things. So we start with um, like the first week we start with that activity that I described about thinking of our, our structures and our lives and our values and kind of how they're weaving together. And that is through paper weaving, kind of the most simple form. Then the next week we get on our frame looms and we weave with, um, I call it trash, but it is clean, but you know, plastic bags, scrap fabric, random things that I've collected that I thought, oh, these would be interesting to weave to kind of start thinking about like materials and tactile sensibility. Um, There's a beautiful chapter from uh, Annie Albers, who was a weaver in the 30s. She died in the 90s. Um, She kind of ushered in a new era of weaving as craft. Um, I love her. She's like consistently who I go back to for inspiration. But thinking about tactile sensibility, you know, with industry, we're kind of removed from uh, how things are made. I love, she says, we just open the plastic of the bacon. We, you know, and we never, we don't know the process. So we start with that of kind of working with materials that were made somewhere off and kind of into new things and what that can be. And then we spend the following four weeks weaving with yarn on a frame loom, thinking about different uh, prompts and ideas. So thinking about color, texture, rhythm, integration, what does it mean as a whole, you know, is kind of where we end. So yeah, contemplative weaving is a mixture of learning how to weave and the processes alongside other contemplative practices to kind of help deepen it into something, like I said before, that's about the process and not necessarily what you're producing. Um, I had been teaching some frame loom classes prior to that, that were just weaving based. And I kept noticing that there was such a focus on perfection from everyone of like, well, this isn't good. I don't like this, or I'm just not that good or blah, blah, blah. And it was like, you, this is your first ever weaving. Of course, it's not going to be great, you know, but like, what did you learn from it? Or what, what arose in you while you were doing the process? Or what is something that you saw in someone else's that made you curious and wanted to try more? And so that kind of started to push me more into this contemplative way of leading. Um, so that it was less about perfection and what are we going to show to the world and really about like, how are we understanding ourselves in this moment and understanding like the world around us and how we interact with that. Um, and just taking like a, a deep breath, really, because that <laughs> is so often we're just so urgent. There's so much urgency in the world and weaving is such a slow craft that it really kind of forces you to do that, to slow down and to like be with some questions, you know, and try to set aside the idea that it has to be perfect or that, you know, this is your one chance to do something great, but rather just like 
practicing, you know? So one, I need to take your class. Um, so that, that's <laughs> yeah. a takeaway um, for sure. This goes back to a beautiful statement you made a little earlier, being in process without having to produce. And that that hit my body in a way that like, mm, like it hit it. But now it's like melting mm-hmm. into like, oh, to be in process without having to produce. My goodness, like the freedom and liberty, the exhilaration, the creativity that exists all within this this idea, which is anti-capitalist, by the way, right? It's it's an anti-capitalist concept because capitalism tells us that in every moment of every day and in everything that you do, the product of your time and effort is where value lies, Mm-hmm. So that causes us to ask ourselves some very interesting questions. This emerged for me this week. Um, I had, well, we're we're moving into the second week or in the second week, but heavy, heavy, heavy grief week. Um, I lost a friend, a dear friend, um, suddenly and needed to be present with myself and my own grief. I was present for his wife and her grief and and then by extension the, the the greater family he was a therapist as well so there was this business side of things that I was spearheading to go like I mean he he died three hours and 15 minutes after finishing his last session Oof. and the next day he had sessions lined up so there was this oh my goodness okay I got we got to cancel the sessions for today like we got to Got to make sure all of his clients know. And then there is a part of me that goes, oh my God, I cannot imagine in the midst of some of the things I've gone through in life when I was with someone, whether it was my therapist, a coach, a spiritual director, and then getting an email that they were no longer here. And so, you know, I organized some group grief spaces that we would hold, we being a couple other therapists and I who are all, as as my friend Scott, who died, called us like-minded, or we would say like-hearted therapists. And we held these spaces, but anyway, it, it was, it was heavy, heavy grief time and my world didn't stop. So I still had all of my obligations, my, my trainings, my, my soul hugs, more trainings and clients. And I will say that I brought grief with me along the journey. I was very intentional not to go, who, I don't have time to grieve right now and put it, no, no, it's coming with me. And it showed up in every single space, but because the, the the foundation of all the spaces that I specifically create are authentic and, and present. Those not only did the, the spaces help me well, is what I'll say. Mm-hmm. But I got to a point where, you know, we made it through the week. His memorial had passed. I spoke at his memorial. We had the groups, the grief space and all this stuff. And <laughs> I sat on Wednesday evening after holding multiple grief spaces going, oh my God, I have not created the training for tomorrow's training in the morning. Okay. I I like, I got work to do, but there was just something and I was exhausted, exhausted. And I heard you're, 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 you're looking at this wrong. You're asking the wrong question. It's not how much work have I done? It's how much rest have I done? And it just Mm -hmm. hit me like, my whole life has been observe how much I've produced. And if that has met a particular threshold, then I get to rest. And that threshold has been determined by different things. Sometimes it's the expectations of an external expectation, like a deadline or a supervisor's requirements or expectations. And often it comes from within me. That thing has to be done. I got to get that done. But I have never asked myself, have I rested enough today? Have I hydrated enough today? Mm. Like, have I, have I taken care of myself enough today? And if I have, then I get to work. 
Mm-hmm. And it just shifted my whole world on its head. I went to bed by like 930 that night, which y'all know <laughs> if I'm in bed at 930, I'm probably sick. But oh, over time, I've been going to bed earlier and earlier because, you know, that one last thing, let me get it done. One last thing. So to be in process, which I will forever be in process. Because I never intend to stop learning, growing, developing all the things, right? Um but it's that part about not having to produce something like we even produce in our process, like, oh, I'm trying to heal. So what's the product of my healing that I can demonstrate to prove that I've been healing? Like it's a messed up system, y'all, when we think yeah. about it. So now I'm asking, do I get to work? We've learned you got to work to get to play or you got to work to get to rest. And I'm like, no, have I rested enough today? Have I played enough today? Have I laughed enough today? Because until I do all of those things, I don't get to go produce something because I'm not in my best body or mind or spirit to do it. And hearing about a process, a long and slow process like weaving that can help us train ourselves to go, hmm we know the product is far off. So instead of rushing towards this thing, what if we just sat in process? So beautiful. How does that show up in the regular part of your life? Or if there's anything you want to say about what I just said? Ooh, yeah. What you said really resonated. I, um, the, have I rested enough to work? Oh, I am taking that away as a little golden nugget because that. I think is where I was yesterday that, that I didn't have the words for it, but that idea was really prominent. And I think for me, I, um, I would say really in the past two years, but like the past six months, very focused of slowing down in that of what, you know, if I'm thinking these things and I'm, I'm talking about them, how am I walking that talk of, of slowing down and being in process and, How does that show up in my life? And that really has been kind of exactly what you were saying about being aware of when the productivity mindset is controlling my day, when it's the waking up and I got to immediately jump into work or or some way that proves to everyone else that I am valuable Mm. and kind of like, whoo, okay, (laughs) what, what is, how do I find my value in myself that isn't so external? you know? And, um, for me, that's really been a lot about routine and ritual. And so I almost every morning journal, I light a candle. I try to get some sort of movement, whether that's just like 10 minutes of stretching or kind of slow dancing or something that just kind of gets me in my body and, and who I am and what is it that my intention for the day is before kind of jumping into that, um, urgency of others or even urgency in myself because like you said that like weaving is a slow process that the product is far off and there's been times where I've caught myself being like well I just have to get like I gotta just power through and I just gotta weave 10 hours so I can just finish this project and then I'll notice that I'm just like hating it (laughs) it's like well wait this is my passion and my love like what is happening? And that's usually almost always is that kind of mindset that I need to be going faster, that I need to be producing more, even if it's not just a product, but I need to be producing content for social Mm -hmm. media or like my brand and whatever that means. And just having to kind of take a step back and, and refocus in whatever way that is for me. And so I almost always have Um, a weaving going that's on a frame loom where I have this circular loom that's not in this room or else I would show you but that is such a slow process that it's like whenever I kind of get into that mind space that I'm like okay I'll just I'll put a couple lines in here to kind of just remember that you know like it is about process that we are all humans are always in process Mm -hmm. and that to become stagnant kind of is a big fear of my own you know that like um So that's kind of for me how what you said resonates, Uh, especially, you know, the pandemic and all of that time, I think for a lot of us forced us to slow down and kind of rethink. And I just remember that that March before 
all that happened, I was so burnt out. And I remember thinking like I had a class to facilitate and I was like, I just, I don't know if I can do it. I am so tired all the time and I just don't feel like myself. And then when that time stopped, it was like, okay, well, this is what I need. Dang, it was so hard (laughs) to confront all of the ways that I was so focused on producing and being up to other people's standards or even what I was conceived perceiving as their standards who even knows if that's what they were saying but just how I was you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) thinking that other people needed me to be and so that was a big shift in my life um and kind of consistently trying to come back to that and being held accountable by my loved ones and my close friends of you know that this is what I'm trying to do in the world and how I want to be. And I want to be told when it's kind of like, Hey, it seems like you're kind of falling back into those same patterns again, you know, or like whenever I come to my partner and say, Oh, I got this offer for this gig. And he'll be like, I thought you weren't taking on gigs like that anymore. And I'm like, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, That's and so kind of real. asking me to slow down and think about like, okay, you said this, that this is what you wanted. So now that you're offered it again, let's have that conversation, you know, and like not to just jump into the next thing. And as a gig worker is pretty hard not to do, you know? Yeah. As an entrepreneur that doesn't have that steady income or consistency and what mm-hmm. that looks like, the allure towards here's an opportunity to assure, I don't know, sustainability of my craft or money to feed myself. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. to be drawn there. But how amazing it is when we have community that embedded in our community that we're choosing for ourselves is an accountability not to produce, but to be authentically who we are based on what we said we wanted. So those people in our community can just hold up a mirror or even sometimes I feel like it's a recorder, like, um, that is your voice, right? Saying that I'm not gonna do that, that that's that that was you, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, that was me. So, you know, I I love that. And I and I love the the level of um community that you and I get to be in together holding that recorder mirror and accountability for an organization and at the same time like having these overlapping intersecting opportunities for us personally is really really great so Mm -hmm. as we start to close I do have a question that probably other people do too which is like the process and all is amazing, but you actually do create things. So what do you yeah. do with what you create? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I do kind of a little bit of different things all over. So, um, I take commissions. So like in the past year I've done, uh, like placemats, a lot of those are like table runners. Um, I did a project with Kara Pearson, uh, where we collaborated and I made these, Uh, what we called them like altar kits. And so it was a woven piece of cloth that I created and designed that on the backside would hold like a notebook, a candle, some matches, some affirmation cards that you could like fold up and take with you. Um, And so, yeah, I've done a lot of those kind of altar mats to kind of, you know, that cloth can really ground a space. And that's, you know, I believe very much in that. And so I've, I've woven a lot of that um, in my, art practice that's kind of just what I'm curious about that really I hope people want to buy someday (laughs) but is um I'm really interested in sculptural weaving and so there's this technique called sculptural double or tubular double weave and um it's where you're making like two layers of cloth that are connected by a single weft and so when it comes off you can open it up and it's a tube and it's hollow inside and so that to me is just like an endless space of curiosity and creativity and um, thinking in in that space, thinking a lot about weaving and those tubes is kind of skins that we shed. You brought up grief and grief is something I'm always aware of and always thinking about and um, kind of questioning how we, how we move through that and how it changes us in those ways. So those are kind of the two sides of my art practice. I appreciate that so much. And I am looking forward to you sharing your um, ways that people can find you on your social media, because when we started, when we got connected on social media, 
just the movement of the loom fascinated me. It was like, oh my good, like what? Um, and is <laughs> is there a loom and is it Snow White? I don't know. It's it's there's some fairy tale that was it a hair that was I don't know, but I I intersected with it and and a long time ago though. Like a long time mm-hmm. ago, I don't know if I saw a cartoon, a book or something. And the first time I, I looked at your page and saw it, it took me back to realize weaving has been at least some peripheral part of my understanding for a really long time. It's just I never realized that. And so can you please share your socials or how people can get in touch with you if they are more interested in maybe taking a contemplative uh, weaving class or wanting to see your your creations or just being like, you were a dope human and I like to know more about you. How can <laughs> folks find you? Yeah, of course. So on Instagram, I'm just on Instagram, uh, social media wise, and it's at weave a row and my name spelled r-o-w-e and then my website is weaverow.com uh and so either of those places you can find ways to contact me but that's the best way to see what i'm up to and where i post classes and things like that yes well ro this has been a genuine pleasure um to just learn more not just about you but about this beautiful and very like I said, ancestral long-standing practice of weaving that hopefully most of us now know um, is not a dying craft with little old ladies off somewhere <laughs> estranged from their families and sad. Like, it's amazing how we can just keep going <laughs> down a hole in that story. But thank you for your time, for sharing yourself with me and my listeners. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Shonda. Yeah, this is great. And I appreciate the opportunity. And could I add in one last thing that I meant to say earlier? I just wanted to say that um, when I use the term interlocking systems of domination, that comes from Bell Hooks. And so if listeners are interested, there's a really great YouTube video where she kind of breaks that down even further. So I appreciate that. I just wanted to add that in. Yeah, I'm relatively new to Bell Hooks. Um, But her... The way she talks about love mm. is so, so compelling and life-changing. So thank you. Thank you for honoring mm-hmm. that and naming that. Um, and yeah, this has been so good. Um, so I want to, as usual, make sure that I give props to Trey Angel, who provides the music for this podcast, and my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. My listeners, you know, I love y'all. Thank you for tuning in. I want to remind folks that I do have a Patreon. So If you want uh, exclusive content, but you also want to just continue to support the fact that you don't have to pay for this podcast, but I do in time, energy, effort, and all the content that I'm putting out there, Patreon is a great way to support the work. Know that it goes right back into creating more content and offering scholarships for folks who want to participate in things and can't afford them. I'm on all the social media outlets. Um, I actually am looking forward to introducing you all soon to my new communications manager um, who is going to be doing some awesome things with putting content out there and don't forget if you haven't already go ahead and give us that five-star rating write us a review and share the podcast with your loved ones and friends and so we connect again you all be well